Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, the title of this message I want to share with you today is Do Not Be Deceived. You know, it's very easy to be deceived. Deception is just that, right? It's not something you see coming at you. And if you look at this week's Torah portion, we had a double portion this week. Uh, the first one is Nitzavim. Can you say Nitzavim? Nitzavim means standing. And the second portion is Vayalech. Can you say Vayalech? Very good. That means he went. So... These are actually very short portions. In fact, I believe Vayalech is the shortest portion in the Torah. It's one chapter, and the one right before it that we just mentioned earlier, Nitzavim, is less than two chapters. So, I mean, if you're going to have a double portion, you're like, oh, I've got all this reading this week. How am I going to keep up? This is the one you want right here. It's like, it's less than three chapters. It's actually less than most of the regular portions that we would do. But Nitzavim, it, it says that all the children of Israel were standing before Adonai. And they were there to make a covenant, which already a covenant had been made with their fathers, right? But here they were standing before the Lord to make a covenant with him before they crossed over the Jordan. And it was, there was also in this portion that they were to choose either life or death. And I think we saw that in the songs with Cherry's songs today. That you can see it's in there. Uh, we need to be obedient and choose life. Vayalech, uh, it means he went. And this is where Moshe, he was 120 years young. I say young because he still had vigor in him, right? He still had good sight. He was quite healthy for his age. And I think that shows the sign of how God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. He's the Lord of hosts. So it doesn't matter if you're that age. If you got a mission and he's going to have you do it, he's going to give you the grace to be able to make that happen. But Moshe was only one of the characters. Another key character, I think it's interesting, as we're sharing and we've got this kind of baton thing happening here at our own synagogue, we see here's that happening right here in this portion. We've got Moshe and Yehoshua. And Yehoshua, he had been charged to cross over the Jordan. Why? Moshe is not going, right? And another fascinating piece with this portion is Adonai. God himself, right? And it says that Adonai said he was going to cross over the Jordan before them. And you think about, you go back 40 years, what happened? He was with the children of Israel. He said, cross over, it's good. Go see the land. And what did they do? They said, okay, we'll go look. They came back, no, it's scary. There's giants. There's all these issues and all these reasons. And Yehoshua, Joshua, the one that we're talking about right now, he said, no, let's go. And see, he's the only one left of that 600,000 men other than maybe Caleb, right, that are maimed. So here you got this guy, and they're about to cross over, and now you've got all the descendants of those other 600,000 men. And surprisingly, you have almost the exact same number of men from when they started and left Egypt to now when they're getting ready to cross over. 
I, I think that's a powerful statement that God shows us there. But as they wanted to cross over that 40 years earlier, they changed their mind, remember? They said, oh, we will do it because the Lord's with us. And Moshe said, no, he's not with you anymore. Do not cross over. And a lot of them died. Well, we see the same thing here. Now God's with them. He's going, but they're bold. And they have a very good leader, Joshua, who's been through a lot. He's there with uh, Moshe through a lot of this. But it made me think the children of Israel, they had a choice, and it was to either obey God and there would be blessings, or they could go after the ways of the world and there would be curses, right, which would lead to death, blessings which leads to eternal life. Well, let's take a look in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm using the complete Jewish Bible for this verse, and this is in verse 9. It says, Then Adonai, your God, will give you more than enough in what? Everything you set out to do. The fruit of your body, the fruit of your livestock, and the fruit of your land will all do well. How much of it? All of it. For Adonai will once again rejoice to see you do well. And see, that's what his plan was 40 years earlier. He wants to see this once again, just as he rejoiced in who? In your ancestors, going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you look, those men were very blessed. Did they go through some hardship? Yes. They left their land. They left their homes. They had people covering their wells with sand as they were just getting them dug out. And, but God continued to bless them. Even if they had to live with a crazy in-law father, God still blessed them, right? And I think that's pretty phenomenal. That was if they went after God and obeyed him like their forefathers did. The, op the alternate was to go after the world, right? And we saw that in the 40 years the Moabitess women, there was a way that people went after that, right? And they were swayed, and a lot of them died. Tens of thousands of them died. We see that people complained, they died. The people that um, didn't want to follow the Lord, they died. Well, if you continue looking in here, uh, you can see that this agreement has a conditional statement to it. If we look in Deuteronomy 30, verse 10, just one more verse later, it says, however, all this will happen only if you, what? Pay attention. Are we paying attention right now? To what Adonai your God says, so that you will obey his mitzvot and his regulations, which are written in this book of the Torah. By the way, these are the same instructions they had with their forefathers, right? And if you turn to Adonai, your God, with all your heart and all your being, doesn't that sound like something we say often here on Shabbat? I think Eric did a great job of liturgy today. It's the Shema and the Ve'ahavta, right? It's the greatest commandment. It's with all your heart, with all your being. Well, God's requirements may seem difficult. We have 613 mitzvot or commandments right there in the Torah. Some people say, that's way too much. Well, how about in the New Covenant? In the New Testament, we have over a thousand commandments. And, I, and God says it's not too difficult. If you look in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, it says, For this mitzvah, which I am giving you today, is not too hard for you. Do you think that could still apply today, or was that just back then? You know, it says that this commandment, this commandment which I'm giving you today, is not too hard for you. It is not beyond your reach. And if you go through more of the verses, I'm going to skip a few verses in here, but it kind of gives you this idea that he's saying it's all right here. You know, you don't have to hop into a rocket ship and go up to the moon to find the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? 
You don't have to go and, and jump into a submarine and go to the Mariana Trench and try and find where's the Lord. I, I, once I get there, then I'll arrive, and then he'll give me all my instructions, and then he'll say I'm his child. He doesn't do that. He gives us the instructions much closer. And if you look in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, it says, on the contrary, the word is very close to you. It's in your mouth and even in your heart. And if you think about it, there's a scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's true. You got to get the word of God in your heart, right? And he's telling them that it's in their heart. Therefore, you can do it. And I will tell you today, that's the same for us. If we get the word of God in our hearts, we can do it too. Amen? The Word of God was very close to them. And you could do this as a mathematical equation. Anybody like math here? Oh, wow. There's more than I thought. There's a couple of you. I don't know if nerd's the proper word. Maybe that's not a kosher thing to say in the synagogue. But you could actually put this into a mathematical equation. You could say, and this is very simple math, so I apologize for you mathematicians. But you could say that in their mouth plus in their heart equals not too hard. It's that simple. In their mouth plus in their heart equals not too hard. And I think that applies for us today. Maybe we can hold on to that. One plus one equals two. It's simple math. And I think that's the beauty about God. This isn't rocket science. It's not nuclear science with a submarine either. It's very simple. It's the word of God. Get it in your heart. Let it come out of your mouth and let it, your hands and feet follow what you're saying, right? Could it be that God's word is not any different today? And we answer that. I think it's an obvious yes. We have God's word before us right now. In fact, we're speaking about God's word and we're reading his word and listening to it, right? It seems that since the very beginning, God's word has been present. You say, no, I think the Torah came out on Mount Sinai. That's God's word. But no, God's word is speaking. That's some written stuff, Right? Let's go ahead and look in the New Covenant, what it says about God's Word. If you go to Yohanan or John chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? It says that in the beginning, and most of you have this memorized, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You see that right at the very beginning, there's God's Word in the very beginning. And check out this next part. I love this. And the Word was God. Yeah, and Yeshua is the living word. I mean, we could go into that. That's kind of another topic, another discussion. But we can see that the word was there in the very beginning. So God gave Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, the very same choices that were there at Mount Sinai. It's either you're going to obey or you're going to disobey. There's going to be a consequence or there's going to be a blessing, right? It was the same thing for them. Well, if we take a little bit look further, they... In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Then Adonai Elohim commanded the man and said, From all the trees of the garden, you are most welcome to eat. Here's that infamous word in verse 17. It says, What? But the, of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you must not eat. For when you eat from it, you most assuredly will die. Doesn't that sound like the same language we're reading about in Deuteronomy? blessings, curses, you're going to live well, you're going to have eternal life, you've got all this beauty, you're in God's kingdom right there, or you can leave, right? You're going to die, and they did. Well, the children of Israel were to choose. We go back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. It says, look, I am presenting you today with, on the one hand, life and good, and on the other hand, death and evil. 
Well, we too have this same choice. You know, we talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about the children of Israel. Well, I will challenge all of us today to take a look and see that if we obey God, we're going to have blessings in life. If we go chasing after the desires of the world, there's going to be curses and death. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And these three things, I think you could kind of root down to almost all sins. You look back at Cain and Abel, it's the same thing. You look back at Eve and Adam, it was the same thing. Are there any gardeners here today? Anybody like to garden? I got a few of you, yeah. Well, I am by default. My wife likes to garden, therefore I like to garden. And uh, <laughs> it, I'll tell you, I like to get started early in the spring because it gets hot. And this is the time I don't want to be messing with it. So a lot of the time what I'll do is get all the work done early spring. And then by late spring, I'm like, okay, is there anything else? Because I'm going to be in the house for like the next three months. So if you need anything, please let me know because I don't want to be hanging out out there. So we, we recently bought a house a couple of years ago over here and there was nothing. It was like bare. We had one beautiful magnolia tree, but we put in a bunch of garden beds. Uh, we changed out a lot of things. Uh, we even got chickens. I couldn't believe that. But <laughs> yeah, it's real. And, uh, but nonetheless, what happened was, as we started doing this garden, I realized that we had a lot of things like weeds popping up. We had a lot of things like grass popping up. We had even little trees that are popping up. I'm like, where is all this coming from? We have to keep plucking them. And that's a lesson. There's a spiritual lesson in life. Would you guys agree? There's so many things as we're going through the day, God's speaking to us and saying, hey, Pay attention. I'm teaching you a lesson here. And I, the lesson I got was we have to be vigilant. You see a weed, you get rid of it. You see a tree that don't belong, get, get it while it's small because those trees get huge and it's thousands of dollars to have them come get chopped down and unrooted and all that stuff. So you know what we did? We put down a weed barrier. I said, I'm going to really invest big time. I'm going to go spend $20 to get a weed barrier. You know? <laughs> and you know what? It helps. It cut out almost all the weeds. The trees didn't bother us. But that was last summer. You know what happened this summer? They still popped up. I said, we got to build more. So all the beds got weed barriers this year. So I think there's a lesson there. And you know, it's interesting. Yeshua also talked about weeds. Did you know that? Yeshua, Jesus, he actually talked about weeds. If we look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, it says, another parable Yeshua put forth to the multitude. These multitudes, this is the crowds that were following him. This is his Talmudim, his students that are following him. And here's what he said. This is the parable that he gave them. The kingdom of heaven is like, and you know, I want to pause right there. When you see that, anytime you see the kingdom of heaven of light, you should be perking up your ears. Like I mentioned earlier when I was speaking with you, we want to live out the kingdom of heaven here, right? We want to be practiced in how we want to live forever. And this, when I see something like this, it really gets my attention. I say the kingdom of heaven is like. So let's pay attention. Many of us have heard this many times. Just like on Tuesday night, we did a parable, right? And we did the sower. And many of us have heard that. But there's so much we can glean as we keep going through the word. So let's take a look at this. So it says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants 
of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? I mean, that's kind of an interesting question, don't you think? I would think that the servants would be, he'd be talking to them, right? It'd be the other way around. But they're asking the master of the land, did you do this? And, and how then does it have tares? Verse 28 says, the owner said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Now, this continues on, but if you paused right here, think about that. That's a fair question, don't you think? You see some weeds. I told you what we just did. We started pulling them out, right? You get rid of them right away. Don't let them stay around. Well, we recently, as I mentioned earlier, we studied the parables on Tuesday night. Any of you attend that class? That was a great class. We did two, two parables. And uh, I'll tell you, if you haven't come on a Tuesday night, maybe you're working, this is a great time to come because, you know, a lot of Jewish children, what do they do when they're studying the Word with their parents? They put honey on their lips, right? And so the word sweet is they're hearing the word. Well, we give you a whole meal if you come. You get like all the food. So if you're working and you need something, come hear the word of God and have a meal. It's, I would say it's sometimes better than an egg, but I, I'll let you be the judge of that. Tuesday nights are fun here. And it's a lot more interactive. You know, now we're doing more of a message style, but it's more of a question answer and, and you can give your input. So I would encourage you, if you're not coming on Tuesdays, come check it out. I don't think you'd be disappointed. I really enjoy it. But yes, we've been studying the Good Samaritan and the Sower. And one of the things that I learned was who really knew the meaning of the parable? That person that gave the parable, right? He's the one that knew it. They call, call him a parabolist but, or parabolist, however you want to pronounce that. But that's the one who actually knew it. And thankfully, Yeshua gave this parable. And even more thankfully, he gave us the interpretation. Because a lot of times there's these parables and you do have an interpretation. And then sometimes you don't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some parables. I'm like, as soon as I get to meet Yeshua and he says, hey, do you have a question? I'm on it. I want to say, hey, tell me about the parable of the fig tree. And I'll tell you, I've heard some really great answers on this. Very good answers. I have my own ideas on this. But there's some other parables. I'd really like to hear him explain that. And the, his Talmudim, thank God they asked the question. And thank God they recorded it in the Bible so that we can hear the answers today. So let's take a look at what Yeshua said about this, right? So in Matthew 13, verse 36, then Yeshua sent the multitude away. Notice he didn't tell everybody, right? It's his students, the ones that are really there to learn. That's the ones that are really going to be blessed. And I'll tell you, even today, that's a lesson for us. Be a student of Yeshua. You're going to learn a lot more than just being a multitude. So then Yeshua sent the multitude away and went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And you know, you could say, well, I've heard this so many times. I already know that. Yeah, put yourself in their situation and see if that's true, right? I just gave you the example of the, um, the fig tree. So verse 37, Yeshua answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked ones. So you could break down this verse if you're looking at it. It shows that the sower of the good seed is who? The son of man. Well, who is the son of man? It's Yeshua, right? The field represents the world, and the good seeds represent the sons of the kingdom. And now the tares 
represent the sons of the wicked one. Now, we were just talking about Bereshit in the beginning, right? There was a messianic prophecy, which we just studied this last week was messianic prophecy. One of them is the seed right there in the very beginning. It says that uh, Hava's seed would bruise uh, the, the head of the wicked one's seed, right? The serpent's seed. So I'm starting to see a connection here as I'm looking at this and thinking, you know what? Yeah, let's get all those weeds out. As I'm here in this parable, let's just get rid of all the bad ones, right? That's what it sounds like. But with this information, it seems evident that's the best thing to do. If that's all we had, that's what I would think at this point. And to eliminate all bad and just nourish the good. But this is where we can be in danger. You know, Yeshua taught us a lot of things. And if we're not truly following him or we're just picking and choosing what we want, there's a big danger here, right? See, this is where the danger is. God commands us to do what? To live by every word that comes out of his mouth, right? Every single word. And that's what we're talking about today, not being deceived in God's word. So if you go back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, we can see that. It's only a few chapters back of what we're studying right now. It says that, so God humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And you could see not only this with this, the adversary um, here, but Yeshua quoted this, didn't he? Yeshua quoted this very verse when he was dealing with the adversary himself. So God spoke to the servant, the adversary, and he also spoke to Eve. And he's in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Like I said, at this point, I'm still thinking, yeah, we got to live by every word. But if this is all we had in the parable, I'm saying, let's go. If this is what Yeshua wants, let's just eliminate all the bad seeds. But that's not how God works, is it? No, that's not what it's saying here. We have to continue on and see more. So yet, Yeshua's parable did not say to eliminate the tares at the time. There's, there's more that Yeshua said. Let's take a look. Matthew 13, verse 28 says, The owner of the field said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, and we read this earlier. I've just given you some recap. Do you want us then to go and gather them up? So now we can finally look at the answer the owner said. But the owner said no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Remember what the harvest is. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, I did a little bit of research because I wanted to see more about these tares. So I looked in Encyclopedia Judaica. Anybody like Encyclopedia Judaica? It's a pretty good source. Uh, well, it talked about tares, and there's a Hebrew word for it. It's, it's zunim. Can you say zunim? Zunim is tares or weeds, and it's a specific type. It's called darnel in English. So darnel, and there's actually Latin. I'm not going to mess with that. If any of you have been studying Latin, you're welcome to come look at my notes later, but I'm not going to even try and go there. I have not studied Latin. So the darnel or the tares or the zunim is a weed which grows among the grain, particularly in wheat. So you can see why Yeshua is referring to wheat in this situation. The grains resemble those of wheat. I find that fascinating. 
They look just like the wheat. And I can't help but think of wolves and sheep's clothing. I can't help but think about other things that disguise themselves to be, what were they? The sons, you know, the, the sons of the righteous one, right? So when you start looking at that, the grains resemble wheat so that they're very difficult to separate them by sifting. That's what's interesting about this. They're connecting themselves in with it. And as a result, they sow in together with the wheat and then they grow in the field. So it's a mess. You can't just take it apart. Well, the Darnell flower is actually poisonous. And you could think about that. If you're starting to mix, it's not a good thing, is it? There's a lot of spiritual lesson in what we just talked about here. So it gives a bitter taste to the bread in which it has been mixed. So the enemy knew what he was doing. Would you agree? We were talking about deception here. So if you look at it, he planted the bad seed when? He did it while they were sleeping, right? We need to be awake, don't we? So 1 Peter verse five, or chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out. Your adversary, Hasatan, the devil, Satan himself, prowls like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. The enemy knew that removing the bad seed would uproot the good seed. He knew this was going to happen. And he also knew that the tares would look like the wheat, right? There's also a scripture in the Bible, though, that says you'll know them by what? Their fruit. Yeah, there's no fruit on these, is there? It's poison. So just wait a little while. You'll get to see what's coming out of somebody's heart, right? He also knew that the tares would look like wheat, but would lack a substance to them, possibly even choke out this wheat, so who is this enemy? We get the answer, and Yeshua gave us the answer. It's not me just speculating here. It says in Matthew 13, 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the adversary. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels, the malchim. So the enemy equals the adversary, who is also the sower of these tares. And the harvest is at the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. So in Leviticus 19, 19, I think it's important that we kind of go back and forth because the Bible is completely interwoven. Would you guys agree? And you start studying, you see Yeshua from beginning to end. You see the laws and commandments from the beginning to end, and we start to understand the Lord a little bit better. So looking at Leviticus 19, 19, it says, you shall keep my statues. Doesn't that sound like what we just read in Deuteronomy? Doesn't it sound like Matthew 5? Doesn't it sound like the whole Bible? You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. Okay. That doesn't really apply to what we're talking about, but it does in its own sense. What I really wanted you to see here is read this next sentence with me. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. Guys, we can't be mixing the world in with God, right? We need God's word. And as we studied the parable of the sower, the seeds represent the word of God, right? In this case, the seeds represent those who are either good or, or evil. You know, we don't want to be mixing with that. So it's important that we do not mix there. You know, it even goes on to say that your garment should uh, mix with linen and wool. Can you imagine if you made a suit jacket like this and you put wool and linen together and started mixing it? I don't think that would work well. I know new wine and old wineskins is not a good idea either. You know, some of these things, we just don't need to mix them, right? So looking back at the garden improvements, I think I told you we put down a weed barrier. And uh, I really thought that was going to help. But what, you know what ended up happening? 
we had this thing called Bermuda grass. Anybody heard of that stuff? I don't know why they call it grass. I think it should be called a weed because this thing literally went underneath the, uh, the fabric and then it found a way... And I, I mean, water can go through the fabric. Weeds are not coming out. Trees are not coming out. But somehow, Bermuda can go through. And you, you know how I know this? Because I went to go pull it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I went to go pull it out. And the whole fabric's lifting up. I'm like, what is this? So I start moving. And I move the fabric out of the way. And underneath, it's completely covered with this root system and grass. It's all Bermuda. It's like killed everything else out. And so... There was a lesson I learned from this, and I was talking to someone here, and they were giving me some gardening tips. They came over to the house, and he said, Carl, here's what you have to do. You're going to have to get really aggressive with this stuff because it's super aggressive. You're going to have to get roofing material. I'm like, what? Roofing material for gardening? Are you kidding me? Is that even, like, organic? Is this a good idea? And he says, Carl, do you want to have grass in your garden, or do you want to have, you know, a nice garden where you can get your food? So... He's telling you, take the roofing material, it's the tar paper that you put down, and it covers up all that. Water cannot get through, neither can grass come out. So what you have to do is make selective holes so there's only one way for it to come in and out, and that's where you plant. I said, wow, that is very aggressive. I, mean, I was thinking just get rid of all the dirt and start over, but I think his way is probably the next better step. <laughs> You know, and it is interesting because I'll tell you, the grass, as I mentioned before, it filled in. We have one bed is, I think it was 25 cantaloupe or honeydew. It was really nice, very delicious. But after a while, I said, oh, there's some grass. We'll pull it next week. You know, you know what happened? You guys are laughing. You know what happened. It happened to you too, didn't it? That, that grass took over the entire bed. And, and at this point, I'm like, I can't. It's like this. There's no way I can go in there. I can't take a weed whacker to it. I can't sit there and pluck with tweezers. So it's there. And if you want to look, it's like you're, you're hunting and you find these nice melons every now and then. But it's the reality of life. And I think there's a spiritual lesson in that too. So deception, you know, let's get back to the topic of deception. It's often very quiet. You know, notice how the enemy planted the bad seeds. I want to revisit Matthew 13, verse 25. It says, but when men slept, his enemy came in and sowed the tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, think about that for a minute. Let that soak in. We do not want to be sleeping, do we? You know, there's Proverbs that talk about laziness, right? It's dangerous. You know, so deception often is quiet, but another thing deception can be it can be very, very subtle. You know, it could be even disguised as truth. As we mentioned, these tares look just like the wheat, right? Romans 16, verse 18 says, For men like these, and I will tell you, I put it in parentheses, these kind of people, they're, they're the ones who cause division. These are the kind of people that put a snare alongside the teaching. You know, these kind of people, for men like these, are not serving our Lord, the Messiah, but their own belly. And by how do they do it? Smooth talk, right? Very deceptive. I mean, you think about it. If somebody's yelling at you, is that deception? No, you're just like, this person, is, they've lost their mind. No, this is, this is how it happens. Smooth talk and flattery. And I, I just want to give you a word of uh, advice today, if, if you allow it. If you don't, just let it out. Don't, you don't have to accept it. But if you hear someone giving you smooth talk and flattery, you might want to watch them a little bit closer. Seriously. 
Yeah, because it says here, by smooth talk and flattery, they will deceive the innocent. You know, it tends to play off of our weaknesses. So we looked at deception often. It's quiet. Oftentimes it's very subtle, but it also tends to play off our weaknesses. And I shared a verse with you earlier. I'm going to bring it back again. It has to deal with pride. It has to deal with lust. You know, you think about pride, it's this unwillingness to change. God gives us these opportunities, and we can choose, but sometimes our own pride can get in the way of fessing up or even humbling ourselves, right? Another thing is lust. And you could say, oh, this is all sexual. No, it's not. Coveting things also can be a, a form of lust, right? It's a form of idolatry. Going back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is what? It's of the world. Here's the proverb I wanted to share with you, and it deals with laziness, because I think sometimes that's part of this. You know, when we're looking at these subtle things, laziness can also get in the way of things. And if you look at Proverbs 6, verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways. Be wise. It has no chief, no overseer or ruler, yet it provides its food in the summer and gathers its supplies at harvest time. Lazy bones, how long will you lie there in bed? When will you get up from your sleep? And I'll tell you, we had a class not too long ago on a Tuesday night. If you haven't noticed, I like Tuesday nights. Um, we were talking about, I believe it was outreach or Jewish outreach in particular, and there was a song that... Um, we had at the end, and it was talking about when will you get out of bed? You know, there's people dying. Their souls are fading away. And when are you going to get off of your you-know-what and get out of bed, right? When are you going to do that? And that song really touched me, and I wish I could remember the name right now, but um, anybody remember that? Keith Green, thank you. Yeah, Keith Green, great song. Check it out. That song is powerful. But yes, when will you get up from your sleep? How do we break away from this entanglement that traps us of this deception? You know? Well, as I mentioned before, humbling ourselves is a great place to start. You know, humbling ourselves and staying humble, it might hurt our pride for a while, but it also opens our eyes and our ears and our heart because now you're not going to get anything in a stony heart, are you? No, you have to have humble soil, right? We need to be ready to receive. We also need to get connected and stay connected. And there's a lot of ways you can get connected. One of the big ones is spending time with the Lord in prayer. Spend some time with Him. Get to know Him a little bit better. Ask Him questions that you don't have the answers to. Spend time in His Word. You know, people are waiting for this revelation. God, when is He going to speak to me? Why don't you just open the Bible? He's talking to us all the time, right? It's right there. You know, another thing is being active, as I mentioned, and you know I'm passionate about this, being active in the community. I think it's a great place to get connected with God and to see the work he's doing here. You know, I got to, as I've been spending more time with Rabbi, I got to go on a field trip with him a while back, and he showed me where, you know, kind of the roots of where this place started, and it was it's pretty interesting to see, like, you know, well, they're renting this place out, and, and you got all these different kind of challenges going on, and, and uh it was a few weeks ago. Rabbi's like, we need to get you an office, Carl. I said, oh, I don't think I need an office. He's like, no, you need an office. Let me get you an office. And 
He's like, we'll go look over here. We'll go look over there. I'm like, well, you know what? If that's what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. You're the boss. Actually, he's the boss, but you go ahead. So I started thinking about it some more, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask Rabbi, you know, where, where was your office when you started? Because he took me on this field trip. I saw where they started. He's like, I was at home. I had a hole in the wall at the place we were renting. And I'm like, who am I to think that I need an office? You know, it, it was really a good lesson for me. I am thankful the Lord shared that with me in time of prayer. And I'm glad I asked him about that. Well, I have three areas that I would like you to all consider. You know, what are we doing with our time is the first one. Take a moment and think about what are we doing with our time you know, what we do can sometimes be compartmentalized. When you put things in little compartments, right? You know, at this time, I get up. At this time, I have breakfast. At this time, I, maybe I study my Bible here before breakfast. And at this time, I'm doing this. And at the end of the day, I have that. And I got work in between there. And you have certain routines that you don't always keep them, but you try to, right? Things are in a routine. And I'll tell you, that can be a good thing, you know, but I think something that's important, our faithfulness to God, it should never be compartmentalized. You know, God is much bigger than all these little facets. You know, this last week, anybody else have their, like, whole week thrown off on the schedule? Yeah, it's, and I, I think it was worth it. If we're really following the Lord, sometimes the schedule doesn't work, does it? It's His schedule. So that's something to keep in mind. What are we doing with our time? And, and part of that means being in tune with them. So... I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Don't you know that unrighteous people will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't delude yourselves. People who engage in sex before marriage, who worship idols, who engage in sex after marriage with someone other than their spouse, who engage in active or passive homosexuality, who steal, who are greedy, who get drunk, and who assail people with contemptuous language, who rob. I mean, do you want to hang out with a person like this? It sounds horrible already, doesn't it? Is that how you want to spend eternity? No. It says none of them will share in the kingdom of God. There's that phrase again. Anytime you see kingdom of God, think about this is how we need to be practicing our lives. Verse 11 said, some of you used to do these things. You know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of us maybe used to fall in some of these categories, right? And I think this is the neat thing. Is you, maybe you're in one of these categories right now, or maybe that used to you. But you can see that Rav Shaul, Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the people at Corinth, and he's telling them, you overcame this. It says, you have been cleansed, you've cleansed yourselves, you have been set apart for God. You have come to be counted righteous. How? Was it on their own? No, it was through the power of the Lord, Yeshua, and what he's done for us. You know, if you don't have a relationship with him, I encourage you to take time. If you need someone to talk to, I'll help you. Spend time in the word. If it doesn't make sense, ask questions. Ask God questions. I prayed and he answered mine. I'll be, be careful, though. You might be losing your job and leaving there, you know, coming off the active duty army and then joining the active duty, uh, I don't know, kingdom, whatever you want to call that. But... Um, yeah, the power of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and how it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us have overcome some crazy things in our lives. And I'll tell you, trying to do it on our own just doesn't work. And we try and try and try. And it's amazing. As you start looking at the Torah, what is it really doing? It's teaching us God's standards. 
You know, and it's like, he just said, it's not burdensome. It's not that hard. It's not that far from you. Well, it, with the power of the Holy Spirit, when God's with you, better yet, when he's in you, it's, it's doable. It's very doable. So let's look again. So we said areas to consider. The one was with your time. The next one I want to look at is who are we associating with? You know, sometimes we do not have a choice, right? Our workplace, maybe our home life, you know, if you're married to someone, maybe you became a believer in Yeshua after, you know, or maybe you didn't. Maybe, you're, maybe they just never believed, right? Not everybody believes. Would you agree? I don't know anybody that is in one neighborhood, and it's like we read about in Jeremiah, is you, you don't have to tell your neighbor or teach them because everybody knows. I haven't experienced that yet. Have you? Nobody? Okay, good. I'm a good guy. I mean, I'd love to see that. If you did, I want to move by your neighborhood. That sounds great. But uh, they're, they're, not everybody believes. And I want to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. It says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. You know, this, is, this applies to any of us. You might be dealing with a boss that doesn't believe. You might be dealing with a colleague that doesn't believe. Or even people that work with you or below you. You know, they may not believe, but here's the thing. We don't work for them, do we? We work for the Lord, and we need to represent that in our actions. And it says here that servants, you need to obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily. And I know some of you have this memorized. As to the Lord and not unto men. And I think that's the key right there. When we start doing things for the Lord, it changes our attitude in a workplace. It changes our attitude when we're in a home life where we're not surrounded by believers all the time. We're not doing this for them. We're doing it for the Lord. And in turn, it's a better result. You know, verse 24 says, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord, Yeshua, Messiah. All right, too often we see believers, they want to change non-believers. Anybody experience that? Or maybe you've done it yourself. I'm guilty. Oh, I, I met this person. Oh, I want to go change them. Let me tell you about Yeshua. They don't, and some people don't want to know. We shouldn't really force that on people. We should definitely grant the opportunity and ask. Would you agree? We're, we're commissioned to do that. That's a responsibility on our part. But I think too often I see, and even in my own life, and I've witnessed this, Believers want to change non-believers by spending time with them. And there is a danger to this. And this is a deception that I wanted to talk about today. In reality, if the non-believer isn't asking or even listening, oftentimes you're probably pestering them. Or even worse, they're changing you. Well, if I just hang out with them and do what they want to do, then maybe I'll help. How is that helping you? I thought we served the Lord. Did anybody else get that message? So if we say we serve the Lord and we're over here doing what they're doing, that's not right. That's wicked, actually. I'll just be honest. That's wicked. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Don't be fooled. Say the next part with me. Bad company ruins good character. Bad company ruins good character. Keep that in mind. Am I saying that you should just shun this person? Absolutely not. We're supposed to love our neighbor, Right? And that kind of gets into my next point. So we're looking at areas that we consider. We talked about what we're doing with our time. We just looked at, you know, what are we doing here with people that we're associating with? Sometimes we have a choice. Sometimes we don't have a choice, right? 
Well, number three is where are we investing? You know, every day we make deposits, don't we? We can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve the world. And that takes us back to what we were talking about in Deuteronomy. It takes us back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And it takes us up to the present day today. You know, Yeshua asked us a vital question. Actually, he asked it to his Talmudim. And I think it's worth hearing today. And it's in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. You know, I think about investments that I want to make. I used to really be adamant about properties and money and, and all kinds of things, houses, cars. It doesn't do it for me anymore. I'm more interested in the souls. When you look at how short this life is, if we're reading the Bible, I mean, how long is a life? It's but a breath, right? It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, that's Yeshua, also will be ashamed of he who comes in the glory of his father and the holy angels. I want to give you seven areas I think that you could actually make good deposits and with that, we'll close after that. So seven areas that are worthy of you putting your time and talents and treasures into. The first one I want to talk to you today about is children. Our children, they are the future parents in this community, in our city, in our neighborhoods, right? If you want to make a good investment, spend some time investing in the children appropriately. And really, this is for those who are you're interacting with, your own children, right? Or those that you're in the facets of. So let's keep that under perspective. They're worthwhile investment. And if you don't teach them, you're training them the way they're going to go, right? Another area, the second area I would like you to consider putting a worthwhile deposit in is young adults. You know, they're actually our next leaders. You think about it, we need to be teaching them to do the leading right? I'm so thankful. Rabbi's been doing this for a while. Many of us have had opportunities to be part of Shabbaton, to be part of the services in many different facets. And what is that? It's building us up for the future, right? And I would encourage you, if you're younger, get involved. There are, there are plenty of ministries here. And if you're older and you know some younger adults, take some time, invest in them, teach them some skills, spiritual skills, uh, areas that could even help them with monetary things, right? Things that are practical. The third one I want to talk about is older adults. You know, often they're full of wisdom, and, and a lot of times people, I think, when they get older, they think, well, I'm no longer useful because we got the new younger person coming in. That is such a lie. What a mistake that would be. Do you realize how much Joshua relied on Moshe? He was following him mimicking him. He was there every step of the way, right? He learned so much through Moses. And I think there's so much we can learn through the adults that are around us. And it's not just about wisdom either. I think sometimes even if someone doesn't have as much wisdom, there's another element that we need to keep in mind, and that's respect. You know, there's a scripture that says, and I heard someone laughing about this because my son stood up for someone and they weren't that old. He said, oh, it's my gray hair, isn't it? Yeah. There's a scripture about that, that you're supposed to stand in the presence. It's out of respect. You know, it kind of amazes me that we're the part of the body of Messiah, and this is in the scriptures, but I, I, 
I grew up a little bit with my wife, I'd say maybe five years in the Asian culture. You know, her mom's from the Philippines. You take your shoes off when you go in the house. When there's older people, and I saw this when we lived in Hawaii, like we rode the city bus a lot and stuff like that. You get up and you let the older person have the seat. You see that a lot in Korea and Japan and all these other places. It's like, this is part of their culture. This is what they do on a normal basis. And it's like, why can't we do that for our elderly too? I, I think it's an important aspect that we need to follow. So we looked at children, young adults, and older adults. But I think another worthwhile deposit is family. Our own family. The people that God's put closest to us. Sometimes we feel like, oh, if I could go across the pond, I could go and do all this wonderful stuff in this ministry. I could go help all these people. Or I could go over here to this inner city program and help them. And it's like... But my own wife's like, want me to work in the garden. It's like, okay, well, it's long, if it's hot, then if we can go to an air-conditioned place, then yeah, I'm going to go across seas. But no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But <laughs> family's really important. And I'll tell you, we need to spend time with our family. We need to make investments in our family spiritually, what we're doing with them. Spend some time praying together. Spend some time reading the Bible together because a family divided is going to do what? It's not going to stand and, and I'll tell you, that's the problem, is if our family's not doing this, we're setting them up for failure. And I'll tell you, one of the most scary things I've seen, and even experienced in my own life, I think you heard me mention, I was kind of a prodigal. We can go to these great schools where they believe, you know, and their believers are teaching the Word of God, and they're, they're following. But if the child's not getting it at home, if they're not getting enough of that at home, and my parents did do it at home, so sometimes it's just their own fault. I'll take it a blame on this one. But sometimes if you're not spending that time as family, your family will divide, right? So keep that in mind. The other one I wanted to mention was community, where we are today right now, taking time out of our lives to spend time on the Lord's Day, right? And I know a lot of people have been saying, congratulations, Carl, this is your day. I'm like, no, it's not. This is the Lord's Day. Last I checked in Leviticus 23, it said it's his day, right? But uh, I know what they meant. I thank them for that. It is, it is an honor. Um, but community, we need to come together to encourage one another, right? If we had time, we'd look at Hebrews 13. We don't have time, so we're going to move on. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is neighbors. You know, I mentioned how we should spend time with people, but not too much time. So neighbors, we need to make time to show love to them, right? We need to take time and show love to our neighbors. Do you know who lives to the right and left of you? Do you know who lives across from you? Do you know who lives behind you? If you live out in the middle of nowhere like Ricky, you're like, yeah, I do. It's nobody. <laughs> That's simple. But, you know, even Ricky, I've heard him. Yeah, and Glenna, they have neighbors. They live pretty far away, but they still know them. They're still interacting with them. This is an important aspect. We need to know our neighbors. We need to be involved with them. I, I, again, I, I'm so thankful my neighbor, he came and showed support to me today. That means a lot to me. You know, and there is another side to this. You know, God says he's love, but he's also this. There's all these things just like God. Well, we should be multifaceted in following God too. Another thing, there's a proverb. If we had more time, I would have put it in here. Don't spend too much time with your neighbor, right? Be respectful to your neighbors so they don't what? Yeah, I'll let you look it up yourself. Um, but yeah, we want to take care. And the big thing I would say with neighbors is be available to help them. Be available to show love when they need it, but don't be a pest, you know? Sorry, is that too harsh? <laughs> Number seven, I saved the best for last. We need to, a worthy deposit is spending time with God. You know, it's one thing to get together like this. It's one thing to get together as family or with friends. We need personal time with God. 
We need to spend time with him. You know, just a few months ago, I was going through a really tough time, and it was so busy, kind of like this last week. It was just so busy, and I said, ah, I don't have time to study on my own. I don't have time to study as a family. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and you know what I heard? You don't have time not to, Carl. What are you talking about? You don't have time not to study the Word of God. You've got your priorities all wrong. You're letting the cares of this world wrap you up in this nonsense. Guys, if you're going through that like I have, and we all can go through, that's another deception. Be careful. Get your priorities straight. Take time to get your daily bread. Take time to get some before you lie down. And as you're going by the way, spend time in the Word with the Lord. Spend time in prayer. So in conclusion, I just want to reemphasize that God lets us choose. He gives us a choice. We see it at the beginning of the Garden Eden. We see it in this present day. I also want to show that his word is near to us. We saw that in Deuteronomy. We saw it right there in Genesis, right in the Garden of Eden. And we see that right now where his word is very near. In fact, we are so blessed that we have a scroll in this ark over here. That's the first five books. We have that plus, what, 61 more books, and it's all in one nice, easy-to-hold-up manual. And in some cases, on an electronic device with commentary and everything else that you could fill up this whole room, right? It's pretty amazing that God's Word is so near to us. So please keep that in mind. This is a treasure that we've been blessed with. I also want to reemphasize the deceiver plants death among the sons of God. And when does it happen? It's when they're sleeping. So please be vigilant, stay awake, and uh, as we used to say in the military, stay alert, stay alive. Yeah, I knew you'd know that. <laughs> um, we must cling to Yeshua in order to survive. You know, I, if I had more time, I would have loved to put John 15 in here, talking about the vine, who he is. We talk about all this growth that's happening. We need to be connected to Yeshua. There's no other way to the Father except through him. And if we're not spending time following and doing what he's doing, and I think Rabbi had mentioned this earlier, we're, we all haven't arrived. We're in this process of sanctification. We need to be growing, though. And if we're following him, that should be evident in our lives. So, also, we need to obey all of his commandments. You know, as we learn things, we should be doing them, right? And lastly, invest in those around us. Be people who build up and encourage. And I heard some of you sharing the scripture today. We need to build up and encourage one another. I'd like to close with this verse. It's out of 2 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It said, This is love that we walk according to God's commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, that you walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Yeshua has come in the flesh. And I'll tell you, that's, to me, that's a big part of it, but there's another part to this too. You know, they don't say that he came, but they don't say that he lives, that he's resurrected, and that he's alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. But you know, I think one of the bigger concerns too is that he's coming back. You know, let's not be deceived that that's, and think, oh, it's been 2,000 years. It's been the end days for so long. How much longer? Well, if 1,000 years is but a breath to God, it's not been very long, has it? That Shabbat millennial reign is coming. So please, let's get ready. All right, at this time, would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing me an opportunity to speak your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you will bless these people and put your words in our hearts that we will not sin against you, but we will produce fruit that's pleasing for you. Lord, if there be any weeds or things that are getting in the way of our life, that you would reveal that to us, Lord, that we would put you first in all things, that we would care for our neighbor, that we would care for our family and our congregation, that your word would be precious to us and be a tree of life to those who we've claimed have found it. Lord, make this a reality in our life. We know that you're doing a good work and we want to be going from glory to glory and to you be all the glory. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, where we've fallen short, we ask and repent now. Please forgive us. Teach us your ways. Put the right people in our lives that encourage, Lord, and put the people in our lives that we can encourage them. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.